I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I, I've said many a time, there's that really hot corner of hell for women that don't help other women. I am a passionate believer of we have to, as the YWCA says, lift as you climb. Right. And I spend a lot of time on that now and love it. Johnna Reeder led Ready from a fledgling Cincinnati economic development organization to a ranking of number three in the country. She is ambitious and driven to make a mark. In the end, she had driven herself so hard she was exhausted, and she knew she had to make changes, so she did. Johnna believes women could do better at truly supporting each other and has had experiences personally and professionally in which this support did not happen. She delivers an important message to women. Be in tune with what is really important. Be honest with yourself about your values and don't compromise them. This is a delightful podcast with important messages. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Today I have with me Jonna Reeder Claymeyer. Yes. And uh, really glad to have you here. Thanks for joining me today. So glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. Sure. Um, she is now Executive Vice President of Growth and Performance at AssureCare, a health technology company. She founded JRK Executive Strategies, which coaches uh, businesses and nonprofit leaders, right? Correct. Yes. And um, you were uh, founding president and CEO of Ready in Cincinnati, which is the acronym for Regional Economic Development Initiative. Correct. Right. Yes. From 2014 to 2018, about four and a half years. Yes. Only 80 in dog years, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and under um, your leadership, uh, Ready Cincinnati became a nationally recognized leader in the practice of economic development. You have a lot of awards for this. Um, I believe your goal was to be in the top five. You became the top three. In the top three? Yes. Number three? I, I will take that. It'll be the one and only time I'm okay with coming in third. <laughs> yes, we were the top um, We were in the top three economic development organizations and regions for economic development. Mm -hmm. So a huge, huge undertaking for a group, not just me, uh, in the country. So yes. when you're competing with Dallas and Houston and Chicago, you know, three and four times your size, that's not bad, Cincinnati. It's a big, it's yeah. a big deal. It's a big it deal. It is a big yeah. deal. And uh, you didn't come in four, you came in three, that's right? Right. It's all right. <laughs> um, but I have uh, watched your career. We don't know each other that well, but we've met a number of times along the way, usually at the YWCA. Yes, you that's were a correct. rising star in 2003. Now you're giving my age. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was a mere 12 years old. Oh, then. 12. Yes. You're 12, 13, maybe. Yes. <laughs> um, but I have uh, long admired you and. Um, I just, I just said, wow! Look at, look at her, the founding president and CEO of Ready, and just uh, you were very visible. The spotlight was on you, and I just thought, wow! Look at her go. Uh, thank you. That's very flattering, but I have to give a lot of credit to an amazing board. Uh, we, when I left, we had over 170 investors that believed in the mission of what we were doing. It was a regional effort of 15 counties and three states. Uh, so it's awesome when you get to be the face, but I had an army beside me and behind me. Uh, and it's been two years. So as proud as I am of that, uh, it, it learned a tremendous amount, but 
but I definitely have moved on from there. And uh, yes. another highly successful woman, Kim Coiner Lauterbach, mm-hmm. is now the president and CEO. It's always good when your successor is hugely successful. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm thrilled for them, and they continue to do great work. Yes. And the, the region continues to thrive, even in these crazy uh, COVID times. Yes. They continue indeed. to do well. Right. Well, good. We're going to dive into your time at Ready at the beginning when you started there, uh, the four years you were there, and then the circumstances around you leaving. Okay. Um, and we're going to talk later about what you're doing now. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. I'm an open book. All right. Good. Um, well, let's begin. Tell me about your family, where you grew up, where you went to school, uh, parents and siblings. Yeah, so I'm an adopted daughter of Cincinnati. I'm not from here, mm-hmm. um, but I consider this home now. I've been here almost 20 years and just love this region. The the, the grit of greater Cincinnati, the, the passion, the roll up your sleeves and get it done, it fits my personality. So mm-hmm. um, could have lived anywhere and um, chose to stay here and are glad that glad that I did. But I grew up in a very small town in Tennessee, a okay. dot on the road, a little town called Union City. Um, I came from a uh, very lower middle class upbringing. My father was a police officer, career military. My mom was a school teacher. So you do not get any more apple pie and hard work, pull up by the bootstraps than uh, that kind of an upbringing. Yeah. Humble, uh, humble, very beginnings. humble pie, mm-hmm. humble beginnings. Beginnings. Um, so when people say, you know, money doesn't matter, I'm like, yeah, well, you you go without things for a while. You have some scarcity. You have to you have to rent your prom dress because there is no other option. And then you're pretty excited when you're able to buy that that first first pair of designer shoes. So um, yeah, it makes you who you are. And I wouldn't take anything from it. But I love Cincinnati and I'm glad to call it home now. Mm-hmm. I saw on LinkedIn you uh, graduated from. Union City High School. How big was your class? Oh, my goodness. Now we're doing the Cincinnati thing about where you went to high school. Um, <laughs> yes, there were, I think, about 150 in my 150, graduating class. Okay. You know, it was a, it was a, it at the time was a community of about 10,000, but like much of rural America, it's, you know, it's dwindling. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, but my family mainly lives in the Memphis area now. Okay. That's where I received my undergraduate degree. Right. Well, I always knew you were from the South based on your accent. I was going to say, whatever gave that away. Yes, um, uh, beautiful Southern accent. But well, what, thank uh, you. I had a hard time when I moved here. It, you think it's strong now. You should have heard it then. <laughs> and you know, breaking in when you don't have a network. When I moved to Cincinnati, I had to start over. And um, I thought about taking diction lessons because it, you know, it was a comment every time <laughs> someone met me. But now I know it makes me who I am. I would sure. I wouldn't change. So. Right. Good. What what brought you to Cincinnati? Oh my goodness, uh, we probably need a glass of wine to go through that. But um, <laughs> it was love that brought me to Cincinnati. Ah. Uh, that did not work out, okay. but uh, but the region did. And I do think everything happens for a reason. And he's a wonderful man, and he's moved on. And I met my now husband that we've been together for fourteen years and um, have have raised two children together. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so everything everything happens. All all that crooked road we go through happens for a reason. Right. Good. Yeah, the uh, stepchildren you have uh, were four and seven, I believe, when you got married, and now 18 and 21, right? That is correct. uh, instant family. I am a bonus mom. I do not have any biological children. And it's, it's always hard to say that because I consider them my own. Uh, they, they, 
lived with us full time. I helped raise them since a very young age. Whether they like it or not, they're stuck with me. Um, but but there's always this fine line because they do have a biological mother, and uh, you want to respect that boundary. But at the same time, uh, have some authority and decision making and where they're going in their life. And um, being a step parent is is a very I know being a parent is a hard job, but being a step parent is something else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've learned a lot. It's humbled me greatly mm-hmm. over the past fourteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the payoff is amazing. My, I used to say to my mother, my now 21-year-old daughter was was tough uh, in those teenage years. And I would say, she just hates me. She doesn't listen to me. She doesn't do anything I say. And, and it's so hard to be a step-parent. And my mother would smile and say, oh, that's just being a parent. That's, that's <laughs> not because you're a step-parent. So, right. um, you know, I just, I didn't have the years to read the books and, and figure it out as they were babies. It was get right. married and instant family. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, there wasn't a book uh, because yeah. I had my own children biologically and uh, nobody gave me a manual when we left the hospital. <laughs> and it's tough. It is it's tough. tough when you uh, are career minded. You yes. want to work outside the home. Mm-hmm. I have a huge amount of respect for women that, that choose or are able to uh, stay at home and, and work inside the home with their family. That would not be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do respect those choices and thank goodness we have choices now right that's a good thing indeed yeah um well i'm going to start by kind of self-referencing here um about your beginning at ready taking on that position i'll start with talking about me and i think you're a lot like me you've listened to a lot of the podcasts right i have yes so i was excited to hear them lots of wonderful uh, women highly successful yes and you know a lot of them um, so, uh, and when we started our conversation, when we do, when we talked before this uh, interview, you said, uh, my story's going to be different. I'm going to talk <laughs> about, uh, you know, what what happened, why I left ready, and really focus on that, because I think women need to hear it. And, um, you know, I'm getting chills again. I, ju- I just... I just think it's a wonderful story, and I know it was challenging at times, but um, I'm, I appreciate you opening up about it. Sure. Here, yeah. I feel like that's important. Yeah. Um, I do think we're a lot alike in many ways, and yeah. I did not know you very well previously, but I think many women who've worked in male-dominated industries have come up and been the first in things, um, face many of the same challenges. Uh, Going to Ready Cincinnati, creating the Regional Economic Development Initiative, uh, was a labor of love. I had always wanted to run my own organization or my own company. I'm very uh, uh, I need a, I'm very community driven. I need a purpose driven uh, job. I wouldn't be good at making widgets. And so I, I had the segment that I thought I wanted to work in, but I didn't know what industry. And I had spent my whole career preparing for taking that job at Ready. Um, when I moved to Cincinnati, as I mentioned, I had a hard time breaking in, and um, a, a woman, Margaret Holbert, gave me a chance at United Way. I really started over in my career moving here, mm-hmm. uh, and I lobbied for United Way. I, I said I got the job because I sounded like the Kentuckians, and so they I, I, <laughs> I worked in Frankfurt for them. Um, but I had to I sold makeup at night at Dillard's at the same time just oh, to make wow. ends meet, and I was 
I was um, I I was not 21 by that point, you know. So it really was starting over. But yeah. but from there, I made great um, contacts through United Way. A great great. Um, springboard going to my first company at Citigroup. I wanted to I wanted to be their regional president. The president, when it was time for him to move on, said, Johnny, you don't have any PL experience. You've never run one of our businesses. So I went to business school because he was right. Um, I had outgrown the position by the time I graduated with my master's uh, from Thomas More University here locally and moved on from there. So every job led to the next opportunity, but I always couldn't grab that brass ring of being the president. Yes. I really had this goal of, of wanting to be the CEO. I, I was always a good number two, a good lieutenant. Yes. Right. So the opportunity for Ready was exactly, I had made it. That was what I wanted. Yeah. Um, it was the hardest and the best experience I'd ever had. When we started Ready, it was a million dollars in debt. It, they had 27 investors at the time. That it was, it was chaotic in many ways. People were not working together as a region to sell as the the tri-state area. And we had a lot of assets here that we were just missing out on deals because we didn't have our act together. Yes. It wasn't it, there was no any one person to point at. We just needed to mm-hmm. we needed to solidify as a as a region and and work together to sell. It's a dog eat dog world, as you know, in commercial real estate. And yes. We needed to win our share of the deals. So I had spent those years preparing. I had built these relationships with all of these leaders, all these business people, which then allowed this trust to take place. That they supported us financially and with their with their time, talent, treasure to right. help us be a well-funded economic development organization, and we rebuilt everything. Yeah. So with and that, I want to talk about that. Uh, let me interrupt you for please. just a second. A couple of points that you've made that I think are important. Uh, the fact we've talked about in this in this podcast with others that uh, when you take on a nonprofit position with like a United Way yes. or the Opera or Ballet, whatever it is, it's a way for you to be exposed to people. You're oh, not yes. making money. You're mm-hmm. a volunteer, but they can see who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. And. I would highly recommend if anyone is younger and is maybe in a in an entry level position, not pleased in their company with mm-hmm. where they are. It's a great way for you to be seen outside of the four walls of mm-hmm. your company and network. It is absolutely key that people see your work and your work ethic because that's how I was. That's mm-hmm. how I was ever even considered for that job at Citigroup and ended up having one of the best servant leader bosses I had ever had. Mm-hmm. And Greg Morton there taught me a tremendous amount. Yeah. So that was so fast forward to ready. Let me let me interrupt you one Absolutely, more time sure. about the profit and loss because that mm-hmm. point has been made here uh, that uh, if you want to move up to that top spot or more of an executive position, uh, you really need to have profit and loss responsibility. Absolutely. Follow the numbers. You have to be certain that you're following the numbers, mm-hmm. and you have to understand them. You'll, that's instant credibility. Right. Right. Um, and you know, my undergraduate degree was in communications and, and English, and mm-hmm. those are important things too. Sure. But knowing the business, knowing the numbers, is absolutely critical if you're going to be at the board table. So 
don't complain, get in there and learn how to do it. Um, And not-for-profit for for me is a tax status, not a goal in life. I used to tell my my, uh, colleagues at Ready all the time, we're not running this like a do-gooder organization. We're running this like a business because our investors want to see a return on their investment and we need to show it. So clear accountability metrics, clear KPIs as as Mm -hmm. key performance indicators, all of those things became part of our day-to-day business, as right. they would in any business. Sure. So, John, at Ready, when you came in, uh, it was kind of a mess, right? I mean, the, 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 you were charged with, we want to be in the top five. Uh, you didn't have the right people on the team. Uh, this was a Cincinnati economic development group that was in some somewhat of chaos, right? Yeah, I would, I would say people were doing the best. We weren't thinking big enough. Okay. Um, and and I was so honored that they felt I had the leadership qualities to take the challenge on. Who had, did? Um, who, who was you the... know, I'm, I have a lot of um, appreciation for great people like Tom Williams, yeah. who is a philanthropist in town, who is so successful in his own right business-wise. Yes. But he saw something in me and gave me a chance. Yeah. Because most of the time with that level of a position they would want to hire from outside the area and poach someone that's already at a president's level. And I, as I said, I'd always been a lieutenant. Um, So people like Bob Castellini and Tom Mm -hmm. Williams, many of these icons in our community, um, you need them to give you that hand up from time to time too. And then by goodness, I was not going to fail. Um, (laughs) I was going to kill myself trying um, because you, you feel this innate sense of obligation of um, I need to show I can do this because they believed in me. I'm very big on reputation. Yes. If you believe in me and put your name behind me, I'm going to do my best to honor that. But with that, Susan, um, there's a price to pay with that. You know, I was working 14, 18 hour days every day uh, because the number of outside events you have to attend, the, the the amount of travel as you're building a team when you don't have the right people on the bus yet, you have to drive it, you have to clean the bus, you have yep. to, you know, you have to do you have to do much more than just your one job. And uh, there's a price to pay for that when you do that for year after year after mm-hmm. year. And I would just say, I always told Tom and the rest of the board that I would be there three to five years because I'm I'm a builder. I'm a change agent. I come in, I make things happen. And then usually after five years, either I'm exhausted or you're tired of me because I have pushed so hard that yeah. you're like, okay, enough, Jonna. Uh, thank goodness it's always been the former, not the latter. No, yeah. no one's ever gotten rid of me. But um, I was so exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally by four years in. I knew that I would start making mistakes. I knew that I wanted the positive image and attitude at all times to be out there. Mm-hmm. And I no longer was at my best. Yeah. I felt it. We're going to talk about that Um before we go there, and that's that's sure. a very important message, uh, you know, w- let's talk about the successes you had there. I mean, I read 215 companies. Yes, right? uh, it's <laughs> tell us what you, the Southwest Airlines. I mean, you, you, I just uh, every time I p- picked up the Business Courier, I thought, "There's John." It was just fun to watch you go. Thank you. And, uh, I know you had a team. I know you had yeah. a great board and all that, but just like. Uh, 
you know, I mean, you accomplished a lot for this region that, you know, and take some credit for it, you know. So, well, so you. tell me what you, you tell me what you did there before we talked about what what you decided at the end. I would say my number one goal was to unite the region to compete globally. Mm -hmm. And when you unite a team, when you don't care who gets the credit, mm -hmm. you can get a heck of a lot more done. So by the city of Cincinnati working with the city of Covington, and you're the one, your team is the one merging those, <laughs> literally uh, crossing the river here to to pull people together. There's a lot of power in that. Yes. Um. So yes, we you know we're a top three economic development organization in our results year over year. We did receive many accolades nationally and, and internationally. The amount of capital investment that was coming in here that could be that could spawn other development, the work with people like Laura Brunner at the port mm -hmm. um, by creating site readiness. We were able to implement new ideas that could um, we we implemented a um, a minority business uh, uh, focus with so um, minorities and women-owned businesses trying to bring them to the region. No other that. economic development mm -hmm. organization was doing that in yep. the country. I remember. Boy, it was fun. Yeah. Um, it. it Yes, we had a lot of accomplishments, and I like to be part of a winner, and I get my energy, my juice from being part of big things. And it's fun to drive down the street and say, our team did that. Oh, we were a part of that. But seeing people get a job because of something you helped bring mm -hmm. to the region, seeing companies, small business owners, be able to lower their airfare cost by bringing in a competitor like Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. And I give Candace McGraw and her team huge, huge credit. But the good folks at the Cincinnati uh, Business Committee and Cincinnati Regional Business Committee, the Chamber, Ready, we all did that together. Yes. Um, and it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, I I do have a lot of pride uh, in, yeah. in what was done, but I know that it was a, a team effort that made it happen. Sure, sure. It was a team effort. And to give uh, some kudos to Candace McGraw and Laura Brunner, they were both guests on the podcast. Uh, yes, they were. And uh, powerful women that uh, help our region in a big way. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So um, I know you accomplished a lot. I was uh, just loved watching you... Um, Love watching you lead ready and uh, accomplish so much. And you're like me. I'm going to self-reference here. You said you drive hard and fast. Yes. You like to take on things that are broken. There's a brokenness to them. And say, I'm going to stand on the edge of the cliff and wobble, you know, but I'm, I'm going to get this done. I will not fail. I will do whatever I need to do to make this happen. And people have said about me, she never gives up. Yes, we are Never. tenacious. <laughs> yes, tenacious. We don't give up. I mean, at a cost. So one of yes. the things that uh, Brian Hodgett, who was chairman at the time, is he still chairman of... Um, no, he's not the he's not the chair now. Okay. I think Dave Spalding is the chair is now the from chair. Turner. But Brian Hodgett was one of the founders of Ready and okay. P and G. Just an amazing advocate and asset. And yeah. um, when when you have a Brian Hodgett behind you pushing, you can you can move a lot of mountains. That's so. wonderful. Well, in September of 2018, when you announced you were going to resign, Ready, yes, he said it's impossible to overstate the impact Jana has had on the Greater Cincinnati region. Said. Ready Cincinnati Chairman Brian Hodgett. Jana has brought leadership, positive national exposure, elevated credibility with decision makers, and the tenacity to get things done. Right? 
pretty cool. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it feels good. And in the same article, you said, I am proud to have given my heart and soul to Reddy's mission. And team development reader said, now it's time for me to pass the baton and reassess my priorities and then evaluate my next adventure. And I underlined and bolded heart and soul. I've given my heart and soul. So talk about the time you realized that that you had had worked that hard and that and that uh, you had sacrificed things and and there was a turning point there just talk about that yeah i i've had time to reflect and think about was there one thing or was it a culmination of things and i would say that for any woman we're all going to have bad days yeah but when it becomes you know day after day week after week that you are so tired. You're just, I, I guess I would call it somewhat of a burnout. Yeah. Um, that you're short, short-tempered on things that didn't used to bother you, that you're getting a little cynical on things that you used to be the champion and say, we'll take this mountain, that it's time to reassess, is this where I need to be now? Mm-hmm. And I I could feel in my health. I I I broke out in hives and went to the doctor and thought, oh, I'm allergic to my you know false nails or something. The doctor said, have you been under additional stress lately? And I'm like, no, it's the same stress I've had for four years. And 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 she said, Jada, you you must slow down. And it was a you know I was 45 at the time and thinking, what do you mean slow down? This is this has always been my pace. Right. Um, but what I realized is my family life had suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, my health had suffered. My mental capabilities were suffering because I was just tired. And I decided, you know, I said three to five years. I looked at our goals. We had accomplished everything I came to accomplish. And I thought, why are you holding on? You know you're not one that just keeps the train on the tracks, which is an important role, too. But I like to drive the train at 150 miles per hour and build new track at the same time and thought, yeah. Time out. You're not going to just sit back now, are you? What what are you doing? And I I like to say, when you feel like you're not having fun anymore, it's time to know thyself. And I had lost who I was. I had lost what was really important to me in the quest for success and, and that being what we as all humans call success, of winning, of being part of things, of being part of this team. Maybe some of the, the glamour of it, too, of being in the middle of big decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, heck, of financial stability, of, of all the things that go along with it. Yeah. But what I stopped and realized, how many pairs of shoes can you buy to fill that hole? Right. How much food do you eat? Frankly, how much wine do you drink? You're never going to fill that gap with these false idols mm-hmm. when you're just – what you're really wanting is a break. Yeah. And I needed a break. I'd worked since I was 14 years old. Yeah, me too. And I mean hard. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I – thank goodness I was in a position that I was able to take a step back and say, I need to reassess because I've been doing all these things in the quest of being happy instead of just stopping and being happy with where I am. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for a person that their whole goal in life was to be the president and CEO and you make it to your pinnacle. And it wasn't exactly what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when, I remember when I read the article. I'm like, wait a minute. What? 
why is she resigning? She's at yeah. the top. I, you know, she's at the top. And what what's going on with that? But you said that uh, told me that you were miserable and exhausted. You were waking up in, you know, these, you know, you were diff- visiting cities, just driving this mission, right? Well, when you, you know, you're thinking and when you wake up and you think, wait a minute, am I in Asia or Africa right now? I mean, it, oh. and I'm not exaggerating yeah. and time zones. And, um, and I say all this, that we all have, have, we all make sacrifices for where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret that. It was where I wanted to be. But I also felt it was very important to be vulnerable and admit, because I think as women, we don't give, we don't allow ourselves to admit that vulnerability publicly mm-hmm. that, hey, it's hard. You have to sacrifice a lot if you're going to get to those pinnacles. That's right. And it's also okay sometimes to step back and say, that's not what I wanted. Right. I, just because it's everyone else's idea of success and they see this picture of, I'm great, life is wonderful, um, maybe it's not. And mm-hmm. if we'd be a little more honest with ourselves and others, I, I think that authenticity would help us as women be more supportive of each other, too. That's that's very well said. And, um, you know, what uh, the message there is, uh, and I'm going to relate my story, too, to this, and that is that, you know, it is hard. You know, I looked at you and thought, and maybe people looked at me like this, I thought, you know, she's got it together, she's, she, she's doing it better than I am, and, you know, she, and that was the image that, that you projected, right? It's a brand. We it's all have brand. our brand. Yeah. And yes, I mean, I, I can remember people, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Fine. Things yeah. couldn't be better. While inside, you know, is a little bit of you dying. Mm-hmm. It, it, are you are you being true to yourself? Because out of all of that perfectionism to win and do well and do things with excellence, um, and and we're taught as women this is this is what you do. You have to do it better than than others to be at the table. To be at the and table. I felt a real obligation to other women to, you know, I had been given this chance yes. to be there. But at the same time, I was sacrificing what really were my values. I had forgotten. I had moved away from my Christian faith. I had moved away from my family. I had moved away from my health. I was having no play in my life. Yeah. It was like all purpose. It was yeah. all driven to, 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 to win and these obligations. Mm-hmm. I used to say to my husband, so tell me what I'm supposed to say no to. Tell me what I'm, I, who am I supposed to let down? And who I was letting down was myself. Yeah. I had the same conversation with my husband who said, you've got to start saying no to these people, especially the nonprofit stuff that I was really drawn to, you know, where they'd say, Susan, you'd be great at this, you know, and I fell for it, you know, I was like, okay, I'll take it on and thinking I had time to do it and I didn't. And the thing about this that not everybody understands, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I often see people having the same responsibility as me, but taking things in stride a lot more. Yes. And and I relate to you in that there's so much pressure that we put ourselves under. We're our right, worst enemy. To win yes. and to yes. be good. And you guys are, are giving me this responsibility and we take it so damn seriously. I mean, this is yes. this is the pressure that we feel that responsibility to 
the stakeholders of Ready, the board, yes. that we take that so seriously that it's not like everybody else, right? I completely agree. And so now when when that thought starts to creep up in my mind, because I am back in the, the professional world again, um, I stop and say to myself, what are you trying to prove? Yeah. You have nothing left to prove, Jonna. You have nothing left to prove. Yeah. You have proven success in many measures. Where I want to spend my happiness now is pouring into others. Where do I want to put my time and talent mm-hmm. versus where do I feel obligated or, or where yeah. maybe has someone guilted us? Because they know we'll get the job done. Right. So they ask you to do some of these things, and you're like, I'll take that heel. Um and again, we love to be a part of winners and big things and make things happen. But at the same time, I, I and I don't want to be cliche, but if, if your listeners haven't ever heard any of Brene Brown's yes. work, um, just being authentic to what your values are and stopping and saying, if it doesn't fit in my values, why am I doing it, mm-hmm. can give you that uh, confidence to say no to things that might be nice to do, but is it the right time in mm-hmm. your life? Right. When women say you can have it all, I completely disagree. I believe you can have it all, just not all at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there's a season for everything. Yes. And if you think you can be your best at everything at once, you're going to kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's we usually, we're going to sacrifice ourselves. That's you know? right. That's what we. That's what we did. That's what and, we do. Um, so one point, just in my story, um, I had been working for a long time in the mortgage banking industry. I'd been a lender for a long time, started my company in 1998, and then sold it in 2014 after you know almost 17 years. And I was at a fork in the road. Um, do I keep, you know, do I keep this company, grow it and sell it later, or do I sell it now? Right. And I chose myself. I chose that um, Susan doesn't want to be 70 pounds overweight anymore. Amen, sister. Uh, <laughs> and you you had, I you know, weight that you thing. had to lose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was uh, the, the food helped me deal with the stress. It's coping mechanisms. Right? Yeah. Yes, definitely. So I, I sold the company and um, I was immediately relieved, you know, when I sold to Northmark, you know, that I was like, okay, now I can go back to my clients and deals. I don't have to, you know... Work, worry about the managing of people, managing of servicing, yes. administration, running this company. I can relax. And then, I mean, I just, I slept better. I lost the weight. I mean, I'm just a much happier person. And the things that drove me in 1998 or 99 are not the same things that drive me today. Right. And that's where I want to go with you. When somebody looks at who you were back in 2015, let's say, mm-hmm. you're about a year in yes. at Ready. And then somebody that looks at you in 2019 or, or this year, 2020, you know, what is the difference? What do you see the differences in you? What would you say other people see in the differences in you? Oh, wow. Um, I think that, number one, in 2015, I I had so little patience Everything was a fire. Everything was run as fast and hard as you can. I used to say other communities may have more assets, but we will outwork them. We will beat them on our tenacity. Mm -hmm. And I 
I wouldn't ask my team to do anything I wasn't willing to do. So every, I, I look back and think, what were you in such a hurry about? And I also held everyone else to this level of perfectionism of let's go, let's go, let's go. Why are you not moving on the bus to I I was over the top. I was exhausting. It was it was a yeah. level of an aggression that um, I'd like to say it was it was assertive because we won. We had successes. But there's the flip side of that of I think I wore a lot of people out. I like yeah. to think today I'm I don't think I know. I'm more thoughtful in my approach. I stop before I speak. I do not feel the need to always be right. Or even if I think I have the answer, I'm, I take the time to listen now. I've spent the past two years building into other women, um, building into relationships with women. I did not have a lot of female close friends. Mm-hmm prior to a couple of years ago. And I think it's I put that all on myself. I did not take the time. I would not be vulnerable. I had had a few situations where I felt sabotaged. So whether real or perceived, mm-hmm. it caused me to draw back. And I, that hurt in a mm-hmm. that hurt me in many ways because I wouldn't let people I'm very authentic but I wouldn't let people get close to me mm-hmm. so now I think I'm a much better friend I'm I'm I try to be the friend that I want others to be to me mm-hmm. um, I take more time for myself every day starts with a devotion uh, I work out regularly I spend a lot of time with very close family and friends and much less on surface relationships. Mm-hmm. And I just truly am a more well-rounded, happy person yeah. today. Yeah, I can I can see that in you, Jonna. Um, you and I talked about this, um, which is what you had said, and that is, uh, you know, for one, I have a lot of good female relationships, and mm-hmm. I've always kept those, and they've they've changed over the years who they who my close friends are. But you said something that I relate to, and that is we feel, I think, most comfortable around hanging out with men, right? <laughs> I don't know if there's like the masculine yes. testosterone <laughs> going on or what, but we definitely look like women, but uh, sometimes we do. But, you know, one of the topics that we talk about in here is uh, women helping women, and you've had the experience of women not always helping women. Was that professionally, personally, you know, what was your experience there? Yeah, I, th- I think pers- I think professionally, I've I've experienced times in my life that um, I would have wished women had been more supportive. Um, and again, I will put some onus on myself because this could also be my perception. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't have assumed what they thought or meant, but I chose to retreat versus lean in. Um, and try harder to build some of those relationships. Um, I, I've said many a time, there's that really hot corner of hell for women that don't help other women. I am a passionate believer of we have to, as the YWCA says, lift as you climb. Right. And I spend a lot of time on that now and love it. I love seeing other women that don't believe in themselves or know to dream as big as they can because I was that girl. Mm -hmm. I never saw a professional woman in my life until I went to college. Every woman in my town was either a teacher or a nurse. So the thought of going into business never even crossed my mind. The idea of the amount of financial stability I could have my my 
in my 20s, I was making more than my parents made their entire lives together, Susan. I mean, yeah. that weighs heavy on a person that never knew to dream that big. So I want to instill that in other women of yeah. how big you can go. But I also believe there's a hot corner in hell for women that take advantage of women's generosity of helping them lift. And you're now part of my reputation if I help you up. So you you need to deliver on mm-hmm. what what you know if you need if you're asking for my help, you need to follow through also. So I think that there's two sides of that coin. Some women are unwilling to sacrifice their own reputation or risk putting themselves out there for others. And unfortunately, some of them like being at a small table and being the only woman only at that woman. table. Whereas I want to say, so make the darn table bigger. Um, let's let's add to our right. fold. Let's support each other. And, and companies are better when you have various opinions, experiences, socioeconomics, geographies you're bringing to the table, mm-hmm. and gender. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, not all of them have, have gotten there yet. So I was very used to being the only female at many tables throughout my career. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think there's an obligation that you then bring in other women uh, right. to those tables. And take the risk that, uh, you know, you see her, you know she can do it, you have the confidence to bring her on. Men have been doing this for years. They have, and with much less drama. So that when we said we yeah. like hanging out with the men, that's my reason why. I, you really know where you stand. Yes. They're kind of simple in some ways. And, you know, <laughs> I, I just like the no drama. They like, tell you what they think. They do. It is what it is. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and at least you know where you stand yeah. with women. You know, it's it can be, um, well, we can be our own worst enemy. I've said we'd rule the world if we would work together. But until we learn to support each other, and early on in this conversation, when I said that about the stay-at-home mom that, that works inside the home, man, I could have used some help early on when oh, yeah. I was a stepmother. And I could have used some help with carpooling and to... to help out with with events for volleyball and such. I did not feel that olive branch. In fact, I will never forget, I went to one event where it was a bake sale, and I come in and I have my bonbonnery cookies with me. And (laughs) one of the the room mothers said, we don't do store-bought cookies. And I was just devastated. First, first the fighter in me was like, well, let's see whose cookies get eaten first, because my cookies are beautiful, (laughs) expensive. My cookies will be eaten. But then I'm thinking, like, it crushed me because I yeah. thought, oh, my goodness, I just worked a 14-hour day. I didn't – I did well to get to the Bon Bonnery, which right. in Cincinnati is an amazing – Beautiful bakery, beautiful wonderful bakery. goods, yes. Yes, but the thought of, like, that really matters. This is the stuff we're fighting about in the 2000s. Yeah. Really? Come on, women. Let's – Well, it's, a- it's – it's, to me, the way I look at it, and Brene Brown talks about this being in the, in the kind of the line at the school, and it's like – you know, you're an outsider because you work and you're a career woman. Yes. I am in this circle of women that only bake cookies. So there's a feeling, and, and you've been here 20 years, you probably still, like me, feel a bit like an outsider. Some days, yes. Some days in Cincinnati. I mean, I, I feel at home here, but uh, I I'm, I'm never have have gone to school here, you right. know, high school or college. Yes, yes. So um, there's a feeling that, hey, we're in here and you're on the outside and here's what we do. And it was meant to crush you. Do you agree? It, 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 it absolutely. And my, my point would be that I wish women, we would stop 
and think about the way we're saying things to others because words do matter. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. We all have our vulnerabilities. And believe me, as a parent, I felt like I was failing at that moment, too. I wish mm-hmm. I'd made the damn homemade cupcakes that day. But I didn't have the time. You didn't have the time. I didn't right. have the time. And so I tell young women today in my in my coaching practice, um, I follow a principle called THINK. And, and it's an acronym for before you say it, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if it's not at least two of those, think before you speak, mm-hmm. because you don't know where that other person is coming from that's and right. how you might crush their spirit otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's where I said, I don't always feel women are supportive of others, whether it's on purpose or not, Mm -hmm. you don't know what they're facing at that point in their life. Mm -hmm. And so stopping to think before we speak, you can really build into someone's spirit or you can you can bring them down. And just because we're more seasoned in our in our uh, in our careers doesn't mean that, you know, we don't we don't still feel that we all have that young girl in us in some ways. Yes. Yeah, we, we all have that uh, young girl that can be hurt by by words, and we can hurt others by words. And whether it's male or female, I think what you've come to is, you know, that that uh, you choose your words very carefully, and how you speak to people, and you set boundaries, and you start with you, know, you set a devotion at the beginning of the day. Yes, and uh, that sort of sets the stage for me too. I I meditate at the beginning of the mm-hmm. day, and uh, I just say, how do I how do I want to be today? And I'm also willing to ask for forgiveness now. Mm-hmm. Um, that that piece of being vulnerable to to say I messed up um, and be be willing to go to someone and be the first to say I'm sorry that was that was that was my fault. Right. Um, I also think that that helps because people are not used to that anymore. No. We're such a society now of I'm right, you're wrong. Right. Let me you know post my world on on Facebook blame, blame, and blame, blame, blame. blame. It's and, always someone yeah. else's fault. Right. Um, so I highly encourage people to think before they speak. We as women support other women and and you know, follow through on what you're saying, but set those healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I will be the first to say I'm not perfect with it. No. I'm I'm learning every day, but I do have a supportive female system now, a super husband that's an amazing mm-hmm. dad uh, to to our children. And I'm in a very different place now with my career. Sure. And I now have a super supportive company that's teaching me new right. things. Yeah, we're going to end with that. Uh, tell me about AssureCare and then... Uh, your first stop uh, when you left Ready was at NKU, Northern Kentucky yes, University. Yes. So talk about those as we as we wrap up. That truly, Susan, was a labor of love, trying to help out um, Dr. Ashish Vaidya, who's the president there and is a wonderful gentleman, that needed an interim dean of the College of Business. And thank goodness for forward-thinking college presidents such as him that wanted to bring a business mindset to the business college. So someone who had actually built a business, had, yeah. had worked in industry. Amazing concept. It doesn't sound like it'd be amazing, but it it was very unusual. Normally, you have to have uh, a PhD to have those roles. Mm -hmm. It was only a temporary thing, but Mm -hmm. I loved getting to learn a whole new industry, new terminology, new people, and truly seeing where the American education system is going. And um, 
it's it's uh, scary in in many ways. There's mm-hmm. there's a real gap between the business community and the education community, yeah, and, and I saw that. Yeah. But with this, my journey was always to take a little time off to reflect, to mm-hmm. think about those boundaries, and to do things I love. Yeah. So I've spent time volunteering in India. Mm-hmm. I'm spending a lot of time working with with leaders there, coaching uh, for business success. In uh, they they run uh, a company that helps women that are victims of sex trafficking. So Mm. I'm doing things that I'm passionate about. And that led me uh, through... through a windy road of to Mahindra Vora with mm-hmm. the Vora Companies, no, who Mahindra. is uh, an Indian gentleman who is a highly successful entrepreneur, 22 yes. startup companies under his belt. Uh, and he had been after me a while to come and work for him at AssureCare, yeah. which is one of his his companies. Right. Um, our leader is Yusuf Ahmad, a former president of Mercy Health. They were a company in 2015 that had seven employees. We have over 300 employees in the U.S. and uh, India now. Uh, it's a it's a health technology company that builds the healthcare ecosystem around an individual, so mm-hmm. helps them with their care. It's an mm-hmm. amazing product and service. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning healthcare and technology now and building into a company to help them in growth mode, uh, accountability metrics, helping employees know what success looks like, mm. helping them mature as an organization, which was what I realized in my two years of sabbatical mm-hmm. that I want to build into people. I want to spend time in building and um, developing individuals and systems and processes. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should be doing it. I'm True. pretty good at fundraising, <laughs> and I'd be okay if I never had to fundraise yeah, again in I'm my life. I'm good at it, and I and would I don't be want fine, too. So know that yeah. about yourself. Take the yeah. time to stop and learn that. And so it's very exciting to be part of a growth company and yeah. um, be helping them. And and and, and, and uh, Mahindra is helping me with my nonprofit work that I'm enjoying in India with his oh, relationship. Yeah, so you sure. can see sometimes life brings you. You, right. where all your passions come right. together. So the path uh, has led there. Thank you, Jonna, for being so vulnerable and so open and honest about your experience with Ready and at the end and uh, what you're doing now. I feel like we were somehow separated at birth. <laughs> My sister from another mister. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just um, related to so many things you said. So I think uh, we're at a very good place in our lives. And um, we want to give back. And that's what this podcast is all about. And uh, thanks for joining me today. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.